1 John, and uh, I believe we're looking at chapter 4. By this, in verse uh, number 13, 1 John 4, 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he is in us because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, I'm going to insert love, so also are we in this world. Verse 18 1 John 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. What a beautiful, beautiful scripture from John who is sometimes called the apostle of love. He was the oldest living, the last of the original apostles, capital A. He was the one to whom Jesus entrusted his mother when Jesus was being crucified. He looked down, he saw John, he saw Mary, and he entrusted his mother to John. John's the one who leaned back on Jesus breast on his chest when they were at the Last Supper. John is the one who was laying so close, leaning so close to the heartbeat of God that he could literally hear God's heart. Hearing God's heart captivated John's heart. And um, I love this touching moment when, when, when Jesus is restoring Peter because he loved Peter. He loved Judas. He loved John. He loved his disciples, his apostles. He loves us. He's restoring Peter after Peter's colossal failure denying Jesus when Jesus needed him the most. And Jesus restores him by asking if, John, uh, if Peter loves Jesus. He, he wasn't saying, are you done with denying me? He wasn't saying, are you over that? Can I leave knowing that I can trust you? He just asked, do you love me? Again and again. Love's the big deal. It is the big deal. As much as faith is. But, but faith, hope, and love, those three of them, Paul says, I'll, I'll vote for love. Um, it's a, it's a really big deal. On that moment when Jesus is looking at Peter and he is uh, 
restoring him, then Peter does what we do. Peter slid into looking at John, and he said, what about him, Lord? Why did he say that? Because he, Peter understood that John loved Jesus. In fact, John was the epitome of, of a disciple who loved Jesus, and, and Peter just had gone through being restored. And in that restoration process, the only question that was asked is, do you love me? And in that moment when he looks at John and he says, what about him? Jesus asked this amazing question. He says, if I choose to let him live until I return, what is that to you? I'm going to just say that we should put a pin in that. When we look at 1 Corinthians 13, we should just say, okay, God wants to have a relationship with you, and he wants to have a relationship with me. He wants to have a relationship with us. And your relationship with him is right now the one that matters the most. As when I come before him, my relationship with him is what matters the most. Question isn't what is the world doing. Question isn't what is all of the church doing. The question is what... Do you love him? And based out of that love, Jesus was going to build a house of love. He was going to build a community of love. Not, not the sentimental kind so much as the, the self-sacrificing, the loving enough to die for one another kind. And I'm going to just tell you that I have arrived at the place in my life where most of the things that I wanted to see, most of the things I wanted to acquire, most of the things that I wanted to do, I've had a chance to see, acquire, and do most of those things. And I'm going to tell you that the greatest desire in my heart today, as much as my heart longs to see our republic fully restored to the founding father's dreams and as important as that is my greatest desire is to see the church of Jesus Christ become a house of love a place where the broken can walk in and be healed a place where people feel comfortable even when their lives are less than perfect a place where people don't hide their sins neither do they flagrantly exhibit them they just bring them and as an act of worship we just lay them down so when when paul is talking about a more excellent way he's just he's not saying let's just let love be your motive he's saying let's let's actually from the love of god that we've experienced in jesus christ Let's take that and build community out of that. And then, like, love knows how to act, how to be, what to do, how to respond. And there's so much more to this wonderful chapter that, that I just really wish that we could just keep going deeper and deeper into it. But for now, I just want to talk about the second side or the other side 
of being fully known. Last week, I shared with you a dream that I had when in my dream, I was uh, in a bathtub in the sanctuary and, and someone came to the door and came in and I was fully exposed. And, um, you know, that, that whole thing of understanding that God sees us and knows us perfectly is supposed to be comforting, but it is also something that is made to make, meant to make us realize that we live before God who sees everything. So when he says, if I speak with tongues of men and of angels, which the Corinthians were so proud of and so excited about and a little bit careless and a little bit uh, carnal, maybe a lot of carnal, it, because it was like when they had received this gift from the Lord, they had suddenly become, you know, like instantly they had become sort of a, a star or had something special that made their, them unique. And I just can't help but remember in first, uh, I'm sorry, in uh, Psalm 139, in that wonderful psalm where the psalmist goes through realizing how much God knows him, even like in his mother's womb, God knew him and was orchestrating the formation of his body. And the unseen parts were fully seen to God. And then he says this wonderful and amazing thing is, even before a word comes to my lips, you know it. The amazing thing is I don't know it, but God knows it, which I think is kind of interesting when you think of praying in tongues because in my experience, I can initiate praying in tongues, but I have no clue what I'm going to say first, and I have no clue what I'm saying when I'm praying in tongues. What an irony, but God knows it. The Spirit is able to communicate through me to God. And 1 Corinthians 14 says that when you pray in the Spirit, you pray to God. It is to God. It's not to men. It is a prayer unto God. And the Spirit of God knows what that prayer is. So I, 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 even where you start, and I'm sure that praying in tongues is still a controversial issue. The issue is resolved in my own heart because it's been such a tremendous value and blessing as well as prophecy and yet Paul would say don't forbid tongues or prophecy at the end of 1 Corinthians 14 so um, you know all of that being said God just knows me so I shared with you last week that a day is coming when you will be fully known what people don't know about you they will know and I especially in the areas that we've been misunderstood in. Our value, our gifting. Oh, that the church would begin to understand that this pro-life, not political position, but this pro-life conviction that we have should lead us to be able to see the value and the purpose of every human being on the planet and to look past all the things that veil who they really are and to say, you know, that God fully knows them. And because God fully knows them, he, he's working with them. He's dealing with them. And so I have to know how to deal with them. But if we could embrace the ones that we don't know and understand, because actually, if you were cautiously listening to First John 4, 
you'll find out that the opposite of love is not hatred. The opposite of love is fear. And perfect love chases all our fear away. So when your fear is gone, you can be you as God has made you. And I would agree that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked and very hard to know. But the heart that has been born again by the Spirit of God and whose sins have been washed away, that heart just needs to be watched over or guarded. Watch over your heart with all diligence, Scripture says, for out of it flow the issues of life. So I want to turn the corner and say that as much as you will one day fully know all the mysteries that are mysteries to us, and one day you will fully be known all the mysteries about you, the other appeal to this is that you and I would fully know ourselves. What if I fully knew my heart? Now, when I say that, I mean as much as a human can know. What if I really understood my heart? What kind of impact would that have on the way we live our lives and conduct ourselves? For example, if you're familiar with Samson of the Old Testament, great judge of the Old Testament, he's the one with the long hair and the great strength. But he also had a great weakness which was Delilah. If Samson had known his heart fully, he wouldn't have come to such loss. I don't need to name names, current and recent uh, men and women who have failed in the church in a big way. What if they had known their heart? Or how about in the pews? I mean, the things that don't make the news, just when... When, when you or I, when, when, when a, a temptation, a failure, an addiction, a relationship, or others, things that happen in the secret places of our heart, what if we had watched over them? What if we had watched over our hearts? What if we had understood our heart? Is there a way to watch over your heart? Is there a way to see how you're progressing and how you're doing in Christ? And I'm here to encourage you to do something that I do with great regularity, and that is that I take time to watch over my heart. So I'm just going to ask the church if you would consider that not only are we human and prone to mistake, but worse than that, there's this thing where corruption is able to sneak in almost anywhere, into a marriage, into a government, into a business, into a church. Corruption, from the perspective of the, of the enemy, the enemy of our souls is trying to steal, kill, and destroy and he generally can't get people committed to following Jesus Christ to just suddenly be filled with corruption. He does it through incremental little steps. I, uh, I had another dream. 
on another occasion. This was about August or September of last year. We were meeting on Wednesday nights and praying, praying for our country, praying for our nation, praying for the election, praying that we would keep our heads together, that we would know how to conduct ourselves in a time of such tumult and uh, confusion. We were just praying for the strength of the Lord. We were praying for revival. We were praying for an awakening in this country, which I hope and pray that we are still contending for. But in that context, one night I had a dream, and in this dream, in my community, I saw, I was privy to a house that had an oven in it. Not a small cooking oven, but a large oven. And there was someone who was trying to destroy evidence, get rid of bodies that were being killed secretly, and the bodies were being cremated in this oven in someone's house. And when I looked at that, I noticed that it wasn't like a crematory where, you know, your loved one might be cremated and there's nothing left but ash. But in this case, there was bits of bone and skull, little indications that there had been a body and it had been destroyed by fire. That, that scene just impacted me in my heart, to the depth of my heart. And when I saw it, when I, when I understood it, when I, when I, I calculated the risk, I, I knew I had to tell somebody. And the first person I told was Judy. And when I told Judy, then we both instantly knew we had to go to the authorities and make this known. But I felt so fearful for my life. So we went to the police and I told them, I've got something to tell you. There is something happening in my community and you need to know about it because it's, it's, it's not good. It's, it's really not good. But I fear to even tell you what I've seen. And they, they assured us that we would be safe. And um, I somehow didn't feel safe. But I still, I shared that information. And when I shared that information then the matter was taken from my hands. And then a time later, and I can't tell you how long it was, but some time later, the police came back to me and reported to me that they had done a raid on the house. And with that raid, they not only had captured the people who were doing this thing, but they had found that there was a network of this thing going on. And the policemen said, all across our country, there are these death houses in communities so we've conducted a large sting and we've rounded up many citizens and they're now in captivity and uh, that dream shook me up and and you don't have to see me later and tell me what it means because I'm just still praying it through but this much I'm pretty sure of is that phrase death houses in, in this case was speaking of corruption. I believe that corruption has infiltrated every level of our society. And I think you probably would agree. It's infiltrated marriages, it's infiltrated churches, it's infiltrated business and government and nations and, oh, just on and on. But if you concentrate on corruption and finding it and exposing it, you end up not focusing 
on the things that bring for life. You end up focusing on the things that distract you from the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I have begun to do since that time is to pray that God would expose corruption no matter where it is. Whether it's in my house or the White House, whether it's in our church or someone else's uh, facilities, wherever. And I can't begin to tell you how many people that I have seen in the news since then become exposed for corruption. And, um, and, and you have to say, thank God for that, you know. But I come away from that saying, I wanted to talk with you this morning and share with you that as much as we live in the context of love and the foundation of the scriptures and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, there is a great need for me to watch over the corruption that can come into my heart and for you to watch over and to fully know your heart so that corruption doesn't sink in there. Scriptures tells us that even if a brother is caught up in a sin, we're supposed to go to them privately and make an appeal to them and try to restore them. That's the, that's the posture of the church. It's not judging everyone. So Paul said it would be better that I were to judge myself instead of judging other people. If I judge myself, then I will not fail in the day of judgment and I can live in love without fear. That's where I'm heading today. And I want to give you some steps to begin a process of watching over your heart. And, and I honestly, there's no hidden agenda here. There's nothing that I'm actually trying to uh, expose or anything that I'm worried about. I'm just trying to bring a caution from the scriptures. Uh, if there's a day when I'm fully known, I want what people fully know about me to be righteous and godly and honoring and pure and undefiled. How about you? Yes, yes, yes you do. It's time for me to drink some coffee here. You think about that for a moment. Don't we want, don't we want when people find out more about me, when they find out more about you, they, they ha they're more impressed than less. So that the more I learn of you, the more impressed I am, not the less. Are, do we all struggle? Hey, let's not hide it. We do. We all. Okay. But I, I'm going to tell you that corruption is not a struggle. Corruption is a great destructive force. Corruption is not something you struggle with. You must finish it. You must repent. You must undo it. You must walk away from it. Amen? All right. You'll notice that we, have, we don't have hymnals anymore. Back in the old days when people didn't like what I said, they could throw a hymnal. So we don't have that problem anymore. So you have to throw a chair if you want to now. But... Um, Let's think about 1 Corinthians 13 being fully known. Uh, John had read for us the passage about Moses and how that he was an example of one who veiled his face. So the first mask wearer, you know, I mean, before COVID, I mean, the first guy the Bible talks about having to wear a mask was uh, Moses. In, in Exodus 34... And this is the first time that Moses is gone to the mountaintop and he's received the word of God. 
He's coming down from the mountaintop, and in his arms, he has uh, written on stone by the finger of God ten commandments, and he has a revelation from God. In the revelation that he had with God, God began to speak to him face to face. So in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, when he says, uh, now we see in a mirror, kind of dimly, like veiled, but then someday we will see face to face. That phrase, face to face, literally means mouth to mouth. And it's not the picture of a husband and wife. It is the picture of two friends communicating, a two-way conversation, two people talking one speaking, one listening, then the other one speaking, and the other one listening. Back and forth, conversation. Moses had communion with God face to face. It says in Exodus 34 that that face-to-face communion that he had with God resulted in something he was unaware of. When he came down from the mountain, um, He was not aware that the skin of his face had begun to shine from the Shekinah or the Shekinah, the glory of God, the the glory of God that he had entered. And I do want to just remind you that even though the scripture says it's face to face, it was still in a cloud. He's on the mountaintop. He's in a cloud. He's having conversation with God. And God said it's like face to face, like a man talks to his friend. God had spoken to Moses And it's wonderful for Moses because Moses was a prophet of God and used of God, special. And I just want you to pin that for a moment and just to think with me. What God has done through Jesus Christ has allowed each and every one of us to have the Shekinah, the glory of God. We can each one have face-to-face communion with God. We can have him examine us. We can spend time with him. We can allow him to inspect us. Each and every one. You don't have to be... Uh, Moses, the prophet of God, you can be just you and have contact, vital contact. When we come to worship like we did today in this house of worship, when we worshiped here today, we experienced the presence of God. And because of my friends helping me in the back here, people online are able to experience the presence of God too because they're able to view it and hear it. Thank you so much, guys, for what you've done today and are doing. But when we do that, uh, we experience the presence of God. And in the presence of God, we're exposing ourselves to him. And just like when Moses came down from the mountain, that the skin of his face shone. I will use that as an analogy and say that um, could not we say that Moses' flesh had been transformed in the presence of God. And if you're familiar with the phrase flesh, we're we're using phrases that Paul would use when he talks about our humanness and our sinfulness, our human inability to please God and our our, uh, propensity to fail and to sin and to um, resist the heart and the will of God. In that context, I want to take it and fast forward you to uh, the, the passage that um, John had read that we are supposed to, with unveiled faces, come before God. 
And now we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Having seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus, I would expect that when men and women worship God, when men and women come under the word of God, when men and women pray and seek and, and spend time with God, that the, not the skin of our face, but our flesh will be transformed. Our humanness will be transformed. The God that we have to deal with says in Revelation that there's one thing that we're certain of, and that is that he's going to make all things new. What we're not certain of is how he's going to make all things new. And I would just posture right now that if we are supposed to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, to let him shine and live and grow through us, if that's the case, and we're to tell others about him so that they can do so, Either all the time that we're spending right now is just a dress rehearsal or God is actually changing the earth one heart and one life at a time today. And I would put all of my chips in that corner. I would slide over there and say, I'm all in on this, that you and I are called to live lives that exemplify the love of God, that exemplify the purity of God, that exemplifies the heart of God. So if Jesus came from the heart of the Father and he showed us in the veil of his, God was veiled in the flesh or in the humanity of Jesus, if God was there and we saw him or eyewitnesses saw him, if in the face of Jesus, now we don't have to grope for God and wonder what he's like and try to find him, but he's literally come and he's veiled from us, not through the veil that, that Moses wore, not through the cloud that was of, of glory that was on the top of the mountain, but it was veiled through the flesh of Jesus. That when we look into the face of Jesus Christ, when we fellowship with him, when we worship him, he is literally transforming us into his image and his likeness. So one question is asked, like, you know, we worshiped God with all our heart last week. Why do it again? Two reasons. One, he's worthy. Number two, you and I need we need vital contact with God. We need vital contact with Jesus. We need him to change us. The most change and the most transformation I've ever seen in my life came through just a few things, but one of them was gathering with the people of God. Pastor, do you, I mean... I could actually sit at home and watch online, you know, why be here or whatever. We're just thankful that we can extend this sanctuary to people's homes, you know. But what would be the difference? Why, why, why even need to be here? It's a whole lot easier to come to church in your pajamas. I get that. I understand, especially on a day like today, you know. But, but in the act of worshiping God in a community of people, God literally comes among us and he's transforming us. He's changing us. Am I in the right place today? I'm going I'm to just ask, not for a show of hands, but is there anyone besides me that really, I want to see more change in me. I want to see, uh, well, I'm not, let's not vote on you wanting to see more change in me, but... <clears throat> That would be unanimous. Have you ever experienced this? Someone I hadn't see a, seen a Christian 
hadn't seen in a long time, maybe years. You're about to go have coffee with them, meet them, whatever. Thanks for the coffee, by the way. It's from Cornerstone Coffee House. It's a love buzz in that cup right there. I remember going to Cornerstone Coffee House the first time I ever entered there, and I saw their name, and I pulled out my business card, and I said, look, Cornerstone Fellowship. They're like, hey, Cornerstone Coffee House. The girl looks at me and said, that's so cool. We have a church. I said, not only do you have a church, but we have a coffee house. Please visit Cornerstone Coffee House and get a love buzz. Someone you hadn't seen in a long time, you're going to meet them at the coffee house. And as you're going there, you say, I wish that I had grown in my faith and my love and my devotion to Jesus a lot more than I have since the last time I saw them. I wish that when I walked in that they could just say, oh my gosh, you've just grown so much. See, these things are happening to us incrementally. We don't know it. One of the things that has disturbed me about restriction on church uh, gatherings and sizes is not that, you know, we can't do church online. We can, obviously. But the scriptures literally say that we're supposed to assemble together. Well, someone could argue that we're, we are assembling together, and I'll fight for that one too. But I, I know that when the writer of the Hebrews said that, he wasn't thinking of online at the point, at that point. So maybe we could make a case for that. But, but I, I, I think that he was saying that we should never forsake gathering together. You bring your part, I bring my part. You bring your gift, I bring my gift. We bring them together and we worship Jesus and literally God is changing our flesh. He's changing our lives. He's changing our lives. And Paul would argue that in the new covenant that doesn't exclude Israel, it does include Israel and it includes the Gentiles as well, you know, he, he, says, he says there so clearly and so poignantly. He, 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 he's, he's moving towards helping us to understand that whenever two or three people gather together in the name of the Lord, that the Lord is in the midst of them and uh, in the midst of us. And we become the temple. This building's not the temple. You're the temple. We're the temple. When we gather in his name, that God begins transforming. He begins changing us. He who will make all things new, he who will wipe away the tears, will do it when you and I bring our hearts individually before the Lord and say, God, please see me and know me and understand me. Let me know if there's any wicked way. Is there anything I need to repent of? Is there anything that is trying to seep in? Is there corruption in any, any facet or any capacity? I'm not saying that you and I will become sinless or perfect. That's never, never been a concern of mine. I've, I've just never thought, you know, well, one of these days I'll just be sinless. Well, you know, that's just not been my concern. My concern has to be more like him and representing him so that now I'm the one with skin on and in this new 
with, with, I'm now, you know, the Spirit of God enclosed in me with skin on. I take the presence of God with me where I go. So in this new covenant, that, that, that it's not so much that you put a veil over your face to hide this scary reflection of God that is happening to Moses. Now we take the veil off and with unveiled faces we come before him and we just lift our, our, our hands and our, and our hearts before him and we say, God, search me. God, know me. Try my heart. See, why is it I, I still have so much fear? I have so much anger. I have so much resentment. Why am I, I've still got so much confusion, you know? Was the election stolen? Was the last two elections stolen? Is, is COVID dangerous? Is it not dangerous? What in the world is going... When, I, when my mind starts going there and my heart becomes cynical, I am open for corruption. And, and I become... Um, uh, I, 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 instead of letting the light of God in, I end up letting little bits of darkness in me. And I don't know about you, but we don't... This world doesn't need us carrying around any more darkness. It would be better that we walked into this world with faces unveiled and hearts wide open and said, yeah, we, uh, we pray in tongues at our church. We pray for healing. We cast out demons. We believe that God can, yeah, we believe that hearts can be changed. Actually, we're not hateful at all. We're pursuing love. We're, we're those guys that are pursuing love. We live in a love environment. We live in a love house. Is that, is that fit? Is that okay? Can we go in that direction? Do you think maybe the church needs to just kind of do a self-exam right now? I, 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 I do. I think it's time for the church to say, okay, look, I, I, I've got caught up in so many things right now. I want to be single-mindedly devoted. I'm not ignoring what's going on in the world, I'm praying for it. I'm not ignoring all the things that concern me. I'm just not focused on it. I'm focused on, I'm focused on what? Well, I'm focused on living my life before the Lord in his presence. Can I tell you, it's the greatest journey of all, walking with Jesus. And and it's like a new adventure every day. Gosh, everywhere I go, you know, like, just the slightest little thing in God is touching hearts, touching lives, and changing lives. There's just nothing like it. And so I'm just kind of like here as sort of an older brother today, just kind of encouraging you because here's what happened is I ran into one or two people whose relationship with the Lord and their faith spurred me, stirred me. And I said, why am I not like that? Why am I not like the world deserves to see the best version of you and of me that Jesus Christ can work out in us. And one day, all of this mystery will be gone and all the fears will be gone and tears will be dried away and it all makes sense. But I'm just going to tell you that the hurt and the heartache isn't by design, but I'm going to tell you the fact is that it works in spite of hurt and heartache and brokenness in a world like we live in. It works. In in fact, it flourishes in times like this. If there's one thing that I could say about this generation and this day that we live in, in all of the span of my lifetime, I've never seen in this country a time that I think approximates the time of Christ 
any closer than today. And by the way, the church flourished in that time. So I agree with Annie. There is change coming. There is transformation coming. The, 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 the lines might become clear. The, there might be a little bit more of a divide. But, but uh, those who are on the Lord's side will stand with him, will stand firm. And just so I can just get this off my chest right now, I just want to say that there's so much talk about the end times, and, and I think that we should. But for me personally, that, that, that's still a, a bit of mystery because I've heard lots and lots of theories on how and when and what will happen first and what will happen next. Let me just tell you, the only thing I'm sure of is that Jesus is Lord and he's returning. And the prophecy is so much clearer when you look backwards to the prophecy of Jesus' first coming than you try to look forward to the prophecy of Jesus' second coming. I, I'm, I'm just going to go on that side of things. I know as a pastor, I'm supposed to be able to tell you exactly how things are going to happen. But the last time I saw someone do that, I felt very ashamed and very hurt. Very hurt. I, and I, I just walked away from that and said, God, that man is much more sure than I am. And I am not going to share anything I'm not sure of. So I'm sure of this. Jesus is Lord, and he's coming again. And he's coming by his own words in an hour that you think not. So if you say, I think he's coming now, he's not coming then. If you say, I don't think he's coming soon, that's probably when he'll come. I just don't know. It's still a mystery to me. In fact, if thing that causes me to say that maybe we're not as close to the end as some prophesy is that I feel like that towards the end, things in the Bible will become clear about the end. And to me, they're still too confusing. So, what can we do right now? Well, there's faith, there's hope, there's love. Those things we're going to need. But how about this? Would you try these on? I'm not going to ask you to take my hourglass, turn it over, spend an hour with the Lord. It'll change your life if you did. I'm going to ask you to commit to 15 minutes. I'm going to ask everyone in this building and everyone hearing me to commit to 15 minutes a day of uninterrupted time with Jesus. And Jesus said that when you enter your closet, your secret place, shut the door. And the Lord who sees in secret will reward you openly. So here's the deal. As soon as you shut the door, he's there. One day I told Jesus, I'm not sure you're here. But then again, you're everywhere. So if you're everywhere, you might be here. And I said, well, excuse me, Jesus. I'm just going to pretend that you're here, and I'm going to talk to you as though you were here. So if you're not here, too bad. I'm talking to you anyways. Totally changed my prayer life. He always hears. He's always, as soon as you shut the door. Don't try to imagine. Don't try to figure. Just commit to 15 minutes a day. 
and meet with Jesus in the Gospels. Take little bits of the Gospel, read them, meditate on them. Let him show himself to you in the Gospel. Take a little bit of time to worship Jesus. In worship, he'll reveal himself to you. Take a little bit of time for prayer. In prayer, he'll reveal himself to you. Take a little bit of time in fellowship because believe it or not, the enemy has a campaign against the church trying to keep people away from it. But that's because he knows that when two or three gather together or more, that Jesus is right there. He's right there in the midst of us. I saw this in a vision one time when we gathered suddenly as we worshiped the Lord, the corporate man, our uh, collective spirit stood before the Lord and we became greater than the sum of our individual parts. Our, our parts all brought together rose up in a silhouette of a, of, a, of a corporate man that rose up from the midst of our worship and our prayer and it moved into the community and it did things. How about that? Spent a little time in the gospel, spent a little time in worship, Spend a little time in prayer. Spend a little bit of time in fellowship. But always come back to love. Ground your heart there. If you don't feel love from God, you haven't looked at Jesus long enough. It's not supposed to be something that you always feel. It's something you always believe. I live my life daily in the love of God. I struggle like you do. I put my pants on one leg at a time like you do. We buy groceries. I don't buy groceries. Judy buys groceries like you do. I could be a better husband. I could be a better father. I could be a better grandfather. I certainly could be a better pastor. But I'm going to tell you what. My heart is in a good place with Jesus. And I've never enjoyed this much presence of God. And I want that for you. Would you please?